This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Pounce, a children's book, and the author is Erica Engebretson, and Erica joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Erica. Hi. Well, this is going to be fun, a true story to some degree about Pounce, a little cat. You say a little cat with big dreams. In his everyday situation, he finds himself daydreaming of scaling tall mountains, exploring dark caves and more. Everywhere he goes, he dreams of what else he could do. He's full of self-confidence and knows that one day... He will really do it all. What a great theme. What? How did you come up with that, and who's Pounce? How did I come up with that? Well, I came up with that from Pounce, who was a real cat that I had. I got him as a kitten when I was about nine years old, and in his everyday situations, he did these things that were like climbing up to the top of the front door or... Um, hiding in paper grocery bags and things like that. And I have real photos of him from back in those days when I had him. And in thinking about writing stories and images that come to mind, I remembered all those pictures that we had when I was young and used that to kind of translate into an imaginary story about what a cat might really be thinking while they're sitting on top of the front door and And, hiding in the linen closet and so forth. And personifying them with human thoughts. Yes. Or fears, or, of course, he doesn't sound like he has any fear. (laughs) I think he was fearless. Right. And that's a good, and you know, I mean, that's the kind of theme that you especially feel... uh, you want to be able to project that kind of theme. Right. Um, I don't know if it's so much fearless, but the willingness to take on risks. I think we all have fears about something deep down, but it's if you can conquer those or put those aside enough to really be able to imagine what you can do and not be so afraid that you won't try to do it. Yeah, you say you remember being young, you were always encouraged by your family. You were never told that you could not do something. That's really important. I have a really amazing family. I don't remember ever being told that I couldn't do something, unless, of course, it was against the rules. Um, You know, like riding my bike after dark, which is a bad idea for a kid. But. You know, anything I wanted to do, where I wanted to go to college, what I wanted to be, um, you know, for a while I thought I wanted to be a chef and go to culinary school, and then I turned out to be an accountant. But whatever it was that I picked, my family was always supportive. Now, you also feel very uh, of concerned, especially about young girls and their self-esteem and confidence. Now, why? They're... I, I, I'm not a, um analyst of this type of thing, but I do know that there are studies that have shown that for girls, self-esteem drops by as much as, twice as much as it does for adolescent boys. 
and um, things like eating disorders. Um, about 90% of eating disorders are found in girls as a result of poor self-image and um, situations like that. So as the mother of two girls, I think it's really important to, to continue to build confidence and self-esteem and encourage our girls to be successful and, you know, pursue whatever they want to. I think it's really important for us to encourage them and not let them um, succumb to these self-images and the perceptions that society puts on girls about what they need to be and what they need to do. And um, so I really try to... um, do that with my own girls and support them and everything that they want to accomplish. And start at a young age teaching them even through the mind and actions of a cat. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think we, we spend countless hours each week reading books and looking at pictures. And um, I, I've read Pounce a couple times in schools. I read at both of my daughter's schools on Read Across America Day. And when we were talking about the book, I said, do you think a cat could really be on top of the door? And they all said, no, that's not possible. And I said, why not? <laughs> and so it, um, and then I showed them the real photographs of Pounce sitting on top of the door. And they kind of had this aha moment, you know. These are five- and six-year-olds we're talking about. But they went, wow, he really could do that if a cat really can do that. You know, what can I do? And we spent a lot of time then with them using their imaginations and thinking about what's an ordinary situation that they do and what could they imagine they were doing and what do they want to do? What do they dream about? So it was, it was actually a really fun day to do that with all those kids. And you've really gone the extra mile because you've established a foundation to deal with this very important issue. I can't take sole credit for that. The... Um, the, the real credit for the starting of the Pie Club Foundation goes to Leslie Lowe, who was a um, schoolmate of mine in college. And um, five of us back in 2005 established the Pie Club Foundation. And PIE is an acronym for Potential Inf- Inspiration and Empowerment. And we're a nonprofit organization that provides esteem scholarships for adolescent girls. And we send them off to camps and um, situations where, where they're put in situations to um, challenge them and build courage and confidence and self-esteem. So it's, it's been really satisfying and fun to be a part of Pie Club. And you also feel strongly about parents leading by example and showing their children how to take chances and risks. Yeah, I think having kids really opens up your eyes. I have you know, for many years lived in my own kind of safe little world and had my job and went to work every day and was just in my routine. But when I had kids, I started hearing myself saying these things and thinking, hmm, I'm not sure if I'm really doing what I'm telling my kids they should do. Uh, You know, like saying if I ask them to do something and they say they can't do it, I said, well, you can't say you can't do it. You haven't tried yet. You have to try and work at it, and then if it doesn't work out, then you can say, you know, I couldn't do that. But you can't just straight out of the chute say you can't do something. So, you know, I was toying with the idea of writing stories and 
instead of saying, well, I could never get a book published, I did some research and figured it out, and here we are having an interview about a book that I published. So um, I have found that it's important to walk the walk, so to speak, instead of just talking the talk when you preach to your kids what they should do. What do your kids think about the book? They like it. My little one loves the part about getting in the correct pouncing position and shaking your hiney and pouncing all over the room, getting everything. I think that's her favorite part. Now, are you planning to write more? Um, I have written several other stories. Um, I I do have another one I'd like to publish. It's another one about a cat, um, but about a cat that I had for many, many years, um, 16 years, I think. And um, so she was part of her family when my daughters were born, and she was the only pet that they knew for from birth through their whole lives up until the time that she died about a year and a half ago. And um, it's kind of a memoir to her, and um, it started out as a poem I wrote for my daughter to help her get closure about Sage's death and to be able to remember her. So it's I think it's actually really nice. It's kind of a beautiful little poem that I turned into a story. So I look forward to getting to publish that one someday soon. The uh, last message that you would like to leave with people that we'll talk about in this interview anyway, don't let society limit, really, you know, your potential, right? What others perceive you must be or should be. Right. Um, Yeah, that goes to, you know, some of the comments about girls and their self-esteem and the stereotypes about what women are supposed to be. And also, you know, in looking at myself, for the last 17 years I've been an accountant, and even I have... I think, tended to stereotype myself that way as I kind of fell into that daily routine. And I'm very organized. I'm a type A personality. I'm a doer. I love numbers. And um, I forgot about all the creativity I had as a child. And I think it's important to still remember that inner part of you or the other sides of you that society might not see and recognize those and, you know, not be afraid to dream about what you can achieve and still um, make that other part of yourself known and, and alive. You know, I've found that I am creative still. I do have a lot of creativity, and um, I think having children has also sparked that. You know, they want to do an art project, and i got to come up with something. And, <laughs> and that's kind of challenging. But when I start thinking about stuff, I find that I can really come up with some some fun projects and creative things for them to do. And um, envisioning the illustrations in the book, although I'm not an illustrator, all those images came from my mind and just got put on paper by someone else. So, And I, I'm proud of the illustrations. I think they oh, are Oh, they just bring everything to life. Yes, very good. They bring yeah, it to life. Yeah, the illustrator really did a great job. I was really happy, but he really did translate what was in my mind and my vision and, you know, bring it to life in the book. So, The title of the book, Pounce, and the author is Erica Engelbretson. And Erica, tell us how to get your book. Well, you can find it on my website at ericaengelbretson.com. And it is also available at barnesandnoble.com and on Amazon. And hopefully soon we will be getting into bookstores. But right now it's 
available online through those three sources. Well, thank you very much for being with us. Very interesting, and congratulations. Thank you very much. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions helping you identify the real problems and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence and, more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teaches how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 central on toginet.com. Y'all wave your hand, look who's on, it's Dakota Magneet and he's number one. Now you might think Juan's youth was sad, right? cause he had a death kill mommy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case, nope. it wasn't his fate, no. Nope. The Juan's never struggled to communicate. Ha. Y'all wave your hand, look who's on, it's Dakota Magneet and he's number one. It's That Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central. Every week, That Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine and the show, go to his website, KeithWineWann.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number, number one, Keith's number one. Everybody back to the code of man. Don't miss that Keith Wan show Wednesday nights at 8, 7 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book An Advisor's Guide to Private Annuities, and the author. F. Bentley Mooney Jr. and Bentley joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Bentley. Good morning, Steve. Want to read a few things that you have written just to set the stage for our discussion. You say this book may be the only complete collection of law and tactics on the use and misuse of private annuities. It is written for the professional advisor the attorney, accountant, financial planner, and others, so it is necessarily more detailed than most laypersons would find tolerable. To keep it readable, however, I present the information directly to the reader as the end user, rather than switching back and forth from factual presentations to suggestions on how to present it to the client. So... It is complicated, it is complex, but at the same time, it is so critical to understand this valuable tool, right? Right. Give us some of your professional background, Bentley, uh, so we understand your many, many years in dealing with this kind of financial uh, strategy. Uh, I have been practicing law in the trust in the states area and taxation uh, for nearly 40 years. I have a Master of Laws degree in taxation, 
and I'm certified by the State Bar of California as a specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Now let's define a private annuity. Go ahead. Well, it's like dad gives son the farm in exchange for son's promise to pay dad $1,000 a month for life. When all is said and done, son owns the farm free and clear. Dad owns a lifetime stream of income. Dad is son's unsecured creditor, and son can do anything he wants to with the farm. The income is a product of a annuity table calculation that's published under the regulations for the Internal Revenue Code. And it's modified month to month with an assigned interest rate that's announced by the Treasury Department. Right now, those interest rates are at all-time low, um, 3%. It was uh, 11% as recently as 1991. And uh, the interest rate it keeps the payout rate low enough so that the uh, net return on the investment of the exchange property um, is higher than the payout rate so you don't have to invade principal and thereby run the risk of outliving the money. So why I is think I delve into a little uh, too much minutia there. <laughs> well, why is the interest rate so much lower now? Just because of the economy. You know, the Fed is uh, charging the banks uh, zero to a quarter of a percent, and that translates all through the economy. Uh, this is called a 75-20 rate, um, and it's announced uh, monthly by the uh, Treasury. And that's the interest rate that you use with the annuity factor to calculate the payout rate for annuities signed in that month. How do you determine if a private annuity is best for you as the, you know, as the uh, saver, the investor, as the benefactor? Well, here's what it does, and then you just figure out which benefit the, the client needs. Um, by exchanging property for the annuity, you remove that property from the the annuitants of state for estate tax purposes. It's not a gift, it's a purchase, and so there's no gift tax. It's not in the estate, so there's no estate tax. And with neither a gift nor an estate tax, there can't be a generation-skipping transfer tax. Those are the three wealth transfer taxes. You, you avoid all three of them. In addition, <clears throat> if you exchange an appreciated capital asset for the annuity, you're able to spread the capital gain over the life expectancy of the annuitant instead of paying the tax all up front. Uh, so if you're 65 years old, your life expectancy is 20 years, you just report one twentieth of the capital gain each month, each year. Uh, so that's the income tax aspect, the asset protection aspect. Uh, is a product of remedying some of the weaknesses of a domestic uh, private annuity. Uh, let me take a second on that. The weakness of the domestic private annuity is that when all of that transaction is completed, creditors of the son can go after the farm and deprive the son of the ability to pay the annuity. The creditors of dad can go after the income stream and deprive him of the benefit of his bargain. And the son has to pay taxes on the farm's income and then enough after taxes to service the annuity obligation. It's a rare situation that will permit you to do that without invading principle. So what we do to avoid all three weaknesses is move the payor, the son, uh, to an offshore no-tax jurisdiction. We use a major corporate trustee so we don't have to worry about somebody running off the money. 
uh, and that trustee engages a uh, Swiss bank in the, in the situation that I developed uh, to do the portfolio management. So the trust company sells the farm, puts the cash into a portfolio of securities from which to pay the annuity. So now you have professional administration of the plan, professional management of the assets, and it's in a no-tax jurisdiction so that the net return on the portfolio is fully available to service the annuity obligation and thereby minimize the risk of invading principal. Now, when you mention the phrase offshore, that often causes a lot of people to get nervous. There remains quite a bit of the... uh, uh, Fortress America mentality, where the concern is that the minute the check gets 20 feet off the beach, it's at risk. Uh, but that's really not true. Uh, America doesn't have a single bank in the top 10 in the world. There's plenty of reliable, professional uh, people and organizations outside the country. And we've used uh, uh, well established uh, financial centers like um, Isla Man, it's been around doing this for half a century. Uh, fully staffed with with banking and legal and accounting and management professionals. But it isn't something that you should try on your own. You need to have legal legal advice and guidance. Uh, it's factually and legally intense, and so if it's not done by somebody who's been down that road, you can get in trouble. Uh, there's some bad case law out there built around uh, poor practices in trying to structure these things. Uh, people that do the exchange without even bothering to calculate the annuity or without relating it or, or tying it to the exchange property, all of which can cause the whole transaction to blow up. So I guess the the from a layman's point of view, is there a downside to this? Not that I can see. Well, there is one, if you, especially if you do it for asset protection purposes. You're, you're concerned about something that's facing you right now that might pass with time. And so the, the, the optimal expectation uh, by the annuitant is do the deal and then unwind it after the trouble passes. So you can't do that because uh, once you set it up, you're stuck with it. Uh, so once you exchange that apartment building for the lifetime stream of income, the lifetime stream of income is what you get. The kids get the apartment building or its proceeds. You say that this transaction must be understood in light of market risks and congressional distaste. So Congress doesn't like this kind of approach? Well, Congress isn't so bad as IRS. The uh, the recent run-up uh, that peaked in 2007 or thereabouts in the real estate market <clears throat> brought out a lot of uh, mutual fund uh, marketing people who um, uh, called this a private annuity, or, uh, yeah, call this a private annuity trust, uh, just because the payor would be an irrevocable gift trust to the kids, and uh, promoted it as a way of bailing out of the real estate market at its peak in order to redeploy into the stock market when it was down. And um, uh, they were making a lot of unsubstantiated claims and wrong claims. And more than that, they were advocating finding the buyer for the property before you even sign the deal, which makes it a step transaction and collapsable by the IRS with full taxation up front. Those things they weren't telling people. And so IRS got pretty heated about it. 
and, um, and began making ugly noises at the tax institutes and uh, came out with a proposed regulation, uh, 1.1001-1 parens J, which uh, uh, says that if you do that, if you exchange a, a, a appreciated property, even in a well a properly structured transaction, if you, if you exchange the appreciated capital asset for the annuity, they will force recognition of the gain up front. Now, this is a proposed regulation, it's not law. Uh, but uh, it's by its terms, it's retroactive to 2006 if it ever becomes final. Right now, it's stuck in the installment uh, sales section of the IRS, uh, where they're still noodling it. But um, it, it may become final at some point. So the real underlying issue then, assuming this is not a cash transaction to which this is immune to apply, uh, is that. Um, uh, the regulation may or may not be enforceable. When you do a statutory analysis uh, construction of the statute uh, uh, as to whether or not it really binds the courts, I find it fatally flawed. I think what will happen if, if the client chooses to face off the IRS on this issue instead of succumbing, uh, that he'll probably win and it'll take the IRS back to the open transaction doctrine, which is where we were prior to the current law. Just a minute's worth on that. IRS wanted to do this years and years ago, and they kept losing. The court would say, no, the open transaction doctrine applies, so you shouldn't be required to pay taxes on money that you might not collect. So they allowed the annuitant to you know, recover tax basis in the exchange property tax-free. Uh, and then only then, only when it was fully recovered, was the uh, annuity income taxable. Well, after IRS lost a series of these things, it, uh, it threw in the towel with a revenue ruling, revenue ruling 5974, uh, which says, okay, uh, we'll, we'll recognize the gain readably over the life expectancy of the annuitant. And that's been the law ever since 69. Now, this proposed regulation proposes to go back to the original argument, but in my view, the, the, um, the regulation is fatally flawed, and the courts will take us back, if because it revokes 6974, they'll take us back to the prior law, applying the open transaction doctrine. Now, there's no guarantee, but that's where I think the odds are. Another point of how important it is to have uh, legal and professional guidance with this kind of annuity. Absolutely. Now, you make another statement here. This transaction may be the only useful tactic when you face a claim that will consume everything. Help us understand that. Well, at that point, people are saying, how can I save what I've got? You know, let's say you patted the wrong popo at work and you end up with a million-dollar lawsuit that looks like it's uh, going to result in a judgment. And you want to save uh, uh, your second home or your apartment building or stock portfolio or whatever. Uh, if you just transfer it to your brother-in-law, then that's called a fraudulent transfer, and it's been the law for 400 years. Uh, the court can make a finding that it's a fraudulent transfer and require the transferee to return the, uh, the property to where the creditor can reach it. 
So the private annuity applies here because it's not a transfer for the, for fraudulent transfer purposes. It's a purchase. You just bought something that happens to be beyond the reach of the uh, judgment creditor. And so the judgment creditor has to pursue it where it is, assuming the law permits that. <clears throat> Most common law countries, like the Isle of Man, Cayman, uh, Switzerland, well, that's not Switzerland, common law, that's civil law. But they, they won't recognize a foreign judgment based on a theory that's not recognizable in that country. And so a statutory remedy like the one I described would not be recognized in that country. So the judgment creditor either can't enforce the judgment against the annuity or would find it economically unfeasible to, to do so. Bentley, we have enough time for some closing thoughts. So what would they be? Well, this can often be the saving grace for the guy who's worked hard and saved his money but ended up with without enough to retire with any dignity. Um, and so what he can do is uh, take a piece of property that's not producing income like the acreage he bought, uh, uh, thinking that the expansion of the city around it would reach it in time to give him a nice profit, but it didn't. Or uh, who's built a nice equity and has a home in the city and would like to free up some of that equity in a tax-efficient way uh, to bolster uh, retirement. Uh, for example, I have a client who has um, a home he bought for $40,000 years and years ago. It's gone up in value to about a million. That happens in California. Uh, and uh, he can he can move to uh, Texas where he came from and buy twice the house for half the money. So you get an appraisal on the house. Uh, he takes into account his $500,000 exclusion under Section 121 for establishing his basis. And he takes a percentage of the part that's subject to capital gain tax uh, of the house and, and deeds that percentage ownership uh, to the payor in exchange for the annuity. Then the payor and he join in selling the property. He gets his part tax rate, buys the home in Texas. The rest of it generates forty, fifty thousand dollars a year in lifetime income for as long as he or the wife lives. Which, together with the Social Security and a little pension, uh, he lives, leaves him able to retire with some measure of dignity. Well, Bentley, we want to thank you for being on Author Talk and helping us to understand the private annuity. The title of the book is An Advisor's Guide to Private Annuities. Bentley, tell us how to get your book. Uh, go to the website set up for the book. It's www.bentleymooney.com. B-E-N-T-L-E-Y-M-O-O-N-E-Y. You can see the samples of the book and ordering uh, opportunities. Thanks for being with us, Bentley. Okay, Steve. That was F. Bentley Mooney, Jr. He is the author of his book, An Advisor's Guide to Private Annuities. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. 
Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Hiking Toward Heaven, an uplifting story of hope on earth with hints of heaven. And the author is Ian Palmer, and Ian joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Ian. Hi, Steve. Good to have you with us, and this is going to be a hike. You're going to take us on a journey toward heaven in a very unique way. Let me read a few things that you have written about your book just to set the stage. You say this, Hiking Toward Heaven is a spiritual book which probes the mystery of faith and the great Christian themes of grace, love, and forgiveness. The faith of children versus adults is contrasted in a compelling reexamination of the benefits of openness and simplicity. And the spiritual truths emerge during six hikes, which are dramatic and suspenseful, starting with a kidnapping. Well, that's got a little twist to it, a little drama. I guess there's a mysterious traveler, a hiker, that joins you, correct? Yes, yes, yes. We were uh, we were walking around the Arroyo near my house in Albuquerque, and uh, my uh, grandchild, Kara, was kidnapped. And uh, that, um, wow, that, that was true. a huge challenge. This is true. This is, uh, <laughs> that's an interesting question, because uh, <laughs> the most common comment I get about uh, the incidents in the book is, I can't tell whether this is true, true or not. not. The book, is, <laughs> okay. book is a fiction book, but okay. it's based on a lot of truth. All right. Well, tell us why you chose to write it in this way. I, I've always uh, been a hiker. I've hiked uh, since I was eight years old, and I love to hike, particularly in the Southwest, uh, the, the, the states of the Southwest. I live in New Mexico. And I was hiking with a friend uh, in Utah one day, and I said, I'd like to write a book. I, I, I write a lot in my profession as a petroleum engineer. And he said, why don't you write a book about hiking? Because uh, you, you've hiked all over. And, I, and that, uh, that clicked. And uh, at the same time, I've, uh, I've always been uh, a Christian for a long time and always been interested in the mystery of faith, um, how we understand faith. And, uh, and, and I thought, gosh, maybe I could link the two together. Maybe I can um, find some way. And uh, that was my goal, and I found it through a mysterious stranger that, uh, that uh, we met during the kidnapping. And she could uh, 
she she right she she asked questions and um and uh, uh initiated discussion in 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 a series of six hikes that we took with her so uh, myself the scientist uh, the grandkids and the mysterious stranger embarked on six different hikes across the southwest through the mountains and the canyons and uh, we we got into spiritual things and uh, some of the great christian hallmarks of uh, forgiveness and love and grace and that's kind of how it happened and you also want it to be not in a preachy way yes i deliberately set about not to do that the way i have tried not to be preachy is to um to have this triangle of the scientist, the grandchildren, and the mysterious stranger. And um, uh, that worked rather well, because uh, at one end of the spectrum, uh, the grandkids, who are 8 and 12 years old, were um, asking uh, questions along spiritual lines. You know, what is grace, for example? And, and as a scientist... Um, I, I, uh, you know, have have opinions that have, have been formed through years of experience, um, and uh, so I could make comments, but also ask questions. And then, uh, then there's the the, the stranger who uh, who uh, brings in attributes of heaven and talks about, uh, gives a different perspective uh, on on these things. And so the triangle uh, was the way that uh, that that we we have the discussion going on you know, on, on the mystery of faith, without being preachy. Well, you want to emphasize this themes of grace and love and forgiveness, and at the same time you're using not only this mysterious stranger, but you're also using what you call mysterious events and situations during these six hikes. Yes, every, every hike... Um, uh, contains a drama of some kind, and most of these were real. Most of these came about uh, actually through through actual hikes that I have taken, and so I was able to work them into the story. But I was able to relate them to um, to spiritual things. For example, in one hike down the La Luz Trail, uh, uh, in and right next to Albuquerque, it's a very long trail downhill, and uh, one of the uh, hiking members uh, damaged her knees on the way down. And um, um, that uh, that that was quite a challenge. It was it was really pretty scary to get to get her down to the bottom. That uh, that uh, through this, Michelle, who's the mysterious stranger, introduced the topic of persistence, which I I think is a spiritual um, um, a spiritual spiritual attribute. And um, um, and and so we had this. Uh, conversation about persistence and resilience, you know, and and um, and they're all in a, in a, in, a, in people's lives, in, in Christian lives. Now, you talk about your book is rich in allegory, and it also seems to be tied, uh, at least according to one reader, looked at this book and said, "Wow, this could really help youth in detention." Yes. Um, that comment was made by uh, a man who does um, um, in in uh, he actually ministers to youth in detention he's he's a he's a pastor but uh, he goes in there to uh, to help the youth to to mentor the youth and to help them to be better prepared for life when they leave and um, and his after he read the book his comment was that this could uh, 
this this could be really uh, this could really appeal to these youth because it's a novel presentation of some of the the truths in the gospel and uh, he has established uh, he's been very successful in uh, helping these at-risk youth and so he he plans to um, integrate the book to study the book with with the with, with the youth there in detention and he feels like that will really help them so in, in uh, I think that that's a comment on the um, the, the book is, is both uh, inspirational and practical, and uh, I've always tried to be that. I've taught Sunday school lots of times in churches, and I think uh, that combination of being inspirational and practical is a, very, is a very strong combination, a very valuable combination. I think we would all agree and even can imagine how challenging hiking could be in in this mountainous setting that you're taking us into. Uh, And, of course, that ties right directly to the difficulties of life. Yes, 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 it does. Let me say first, what I like about this this mysterious stranger, Michelle, is that she's not a pie-in-the-sky professor. I mean, she's into reality. She doesn't doesn't deny the uh you know the difficulties of life the challenges that we have in in one chapter she she talks about uh, uh how to solve problems it's it, it's called the problem solving pitchfork which has uh, three arms to to solving problems that we all face in life and and um, that uh, that that's an example of the practicality that that she brings and you also point out that there are glimpses of heaven along the trail or through this experience, through this journey, that we can identify with. So it's, again, the, the, how you're tying the, I guess, the physical to the spiritual? Yes, this came about because everyone has a different image of heaven. Um, and and uh, I, I was at a... A, a meeting once where we went around the table and everybody gave their thoughts on what they pictured heaven to be and it was very different from in, in each case and i concluded that people don't know a lot about heaven particularly children it's i think children don't relate very well to uh, the streets of gold and the mansions that uh, talked about in the bible so i tried to present a picture of heaven that's con- that's consistent with uh, with the bible the scriptures um but uh it it would uh be meaningful to children you know, the, you know my grandchildren and 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 so i said heaven heaven is a place and you know, michelle talks about this that's her perspective heaven is a place of um, um uh, uh, very deep happiness um where where um uh, you, every, everybody loves you from God on down, and uh, that, that of course, is the basis for happiness. But secondly, you can, um, you can do things that you like to do on earth. One, one of the grandsons, Darby, loved, loves to fish, and so uh, Michelle told him that uh, you can go fishing in heaven, that, um, that, that um, Jesus likes to fish, you know, too. And so in that sense, I tried to... You know, the, the, the book gives uh, images of heaven that, that are very easy to relate to uh, by children, but, but also, I think, by adults, even scientists. Well, that would make a lot of sense to most of us. Uh, what would heaven be like? Well, it would allow us to do the things that we love to do. 
Yes, and that of course would will will bring happiness, and that's uh, that's that's one place where we'll be really happy. And of course, hope. A key Christian attitude, you really focus on this, especially with the challenges of life in, in these modern times. Yes, yes. I think hope is, uh, you know, um, uh, St. Paul in the Bible talks about faith, hope, and love. And um, um, I've been going to church all my life, and I hear lots of sermons on faith and lots of sermons on love and very few sermons on hope. For some reason, that that third of the big three is not talked about much and i don't i don't know why that is so but uh, i feel like there's a real shortage of hope and of course the opposite of hope is is feeling down or dejected or in, in the worst case depressed and uh, i I've, I've noticed that uh, that around me a lot of people lack hope and so i wanted to bring hope in i think it's very important and, and christians you know above all people should um you know, should should be optimistic, and, and you know, because uh, you know, heaven is at the end of life. But even during life, we 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 have uh, access to spiritual resources. You know, God's uh, you know the tremendous resources. You know, from from uh, from God that, uh, that are available to some degree, and we can pray. We can we can pray uh, um, anytime, anywhere about that and so that brings hope too and of course uh you know one of the issues is how you know how do you maintain hope when when you're faced with problems and challenges and that's the that's the that's one of the messages of the book you also say that one of the controversial aspects of your book is the way the mysterious stranger says some things about heaven and interprets some things that jesus said in the in the bible in an unorthodox way Yes, um, and um, that, that's kind of deliberate, I think. Uh, in 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 uh, as a scientist, I, I I've learned to challenge things. You know, um, uh, if someone presents a theory, you know, scientists are supposed to challenge that and make sure it's right. And I do that every day as a scientist, as as and as an engineer. And so um, I wanted to, you know, to try to do to to try to do things like that too. So when um, uh, one of Jesus' stories is about a woman caught in adultery, and uh, and um, um, uh, it's a famous story where um, the the leading religious figures wanted to uh, kill her. Actually, that was the penalty, the accepted penalty. And Jesus said, "Let him who is without sin." cast the first stone which is uh which pointed the finger right back at them and uh, and during this uh, altercation he was riding um with his finger in the dirt and and um and the bible doesn't say what he was riding and so michelle um revealed that uh, he was riding that um you know all about sin counting but you have no no grasp of grace and of course it's it's grace that's linked with um forgiveness which is what you know what what uh, um enabled the woman to 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 not uh, to not die at the hands of the the the, the, the religious authorities when they realized that uh, that that they didn't know much about grace and they didn't know much about forgiveness and so so i so 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 i had uh, I had Michelle uh, um, 
telling us what Jesus said, you know, when, when he was, well, what he wrote in the sand with his finger, which, which, as I say, is not in the Bible. And so that's an example of that. The title of the book, Hiking Toward Heaven, an uplifting story of hope on earth with hints of heaven, and the author is Ian Palmer. Ian, tell us how to get your book. Yes, there are a couple of ways. Um, it's available in uh, Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble and uh, Author House. Um, the website is um, hiking toward heaven dot com dot com. Hiking toward heaven is one word, and and that gives the whole first chapter, which gives an introduction to the book and there's lots of color pictures in that website too uh, and they can even order the people can even order the book through that website the blog side i'm writing blogs uh, each week uh, starts out the same hiking toward heaven one word dot wordpress that's one word wordpress.com hiking toward heaven dot wordpress.com well thank you ian thanks for being with us on author talk thank you steve i appreciate the opportunity